2: And
3: Oladipo wants it again Approaching two minutes to play
1: What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net. I'm your host for today's show, Alex Golden, and joining me as always is the one and only Kent Sterling. Kent, happy belated birthday to you.
3: Oh, thank you very much, Alex. I appreciate it. Hopefully we get a win tonight and the celebration continues.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that New York Knicks, uh, Knicks game because the Pacers uh, I don't know what it is, but it just felt like they were really sluggish at the beginning of the, the first half and kind of figured things out in the third quarter and then tried everything but to lose it in the fourth. So uh, just want to get your thoughts on that game and any concerns and any positives you have from it.
3: Well, you know, you never apologize for winning, right? And, right. and so a win's a win. Even a win against the Knicks, you think, okay, we we kind of got that done, and that's a good thing. Uh, but yeah, Victor and and the back and you know the the thing with Victor that you both love and hate is the guy is such a dogged worker that I I think he works himself into you know into some overuse situations and it wouldn't surprise me to hear that that back is a little bit of a a result of that kind of thing. But I love the way T.J. played and I, I thought Domas looked really good and really well rested and. And so, hopefully, that's a harbinger of things to come, and we see we see a lot of that kind of play moving forward.
1: Yeah, I thought T.J. Warren was phenomenal, and I thought he was phenomenal in that Bucks game before going into the break. Uh, I put this out on Twitter, and I want to get your thoughts. As I said, T.J. Warren's going to be possibly the focal point for the opponent uh, opposing team on defense come playoff time. Well, you know what? He's he's
3: one of those understated guys, and and this is all assuming that it's not against Miami because against Miami I think TJ Warren is going to be very well defended by Jimmy Butler I I, I don't think that Jimmy Butler ever forgets a site and and TJ Warren and Jimmy Butler if they meet in the first round of the playoffs that's going to be a war and that's going to be a lot of fun but uh, the thing with TJ is that he's just so good scoring the basketball from everywhere you know he can stretch it out to threes uh, when he's kind of of a mind, too. He's got a great mid-range game. He can get to the rim. He's just re- a really good bucket getter, and, and one of the most, to me, underrated guys in the NBA this season, even though he's obviously on a bigger stage with the Pacers than he was with the Suns.
1: Yeah, and one of the other things is just the way he plays defense. I mean, there was a couple of yeah. steals he had, just really, you know, anticipating passes and overplaying it and stealing it getting a fast break Um, I thought his and one finish from Jeremy Lamb down on the reverse layup was unbelievable too it's just the body control that he plays with and the poise that he plays with you really are starting to see him become more comfortable with his role on this team with his position and you know hopefully Oladipo obviously I want to get into that a little bit later but that injury Oladipo suffered you know you hope come playoff time that they're all fully healthy but I don't want to see a playoff series without either one of Oladipo, Brogdon, or Warren on the court at all times because those guys are just so good at getting to the basket and creating for others. Where I think McConnell, come a playoff series, he might have trouble with that. What are your thoughts on that?
3: No, I totally agree. And I would add Sabonis to that list because without Sabonis, I don't know how they rebound the basketball at all. Yeah. So, you know, he's a double double machine, and you're going to need all the rebounds that you can get come playoff time. So, um, yeah, I I think that TJ benefits a little bit. Uh, I think he plays especially well when he's playing against lesser competition, and there's not going to be any of that. And once you get to a a series where you're playing a team again and again and again and again, there aren't going to be any surprises with TJ McConnell, and they're going to understand what they need to do to kind of mitigate what he does for that second unit. Um, They do need to be healthy. I mean we've seen that you know they it, it, even though they played reasonably well without Brogdon for the periods where he's had a variety of injuries you know I I think that this this is a team where unless unless they finish like second in in the east which is not going to happen right. they're going to face an opponent in the first round who is at least their equal and and so that means all right you, you got to be healthy you got to have some buckets fall for you you got to get some good rolls you got to get stops and and you've got to have all hands on deck and and if they don't you know that'll be a a convenient excuse but um you know i i just if they're not at 100 percent health for a playoff series i don't see them winning it
1: yeah i don't either and you brought up malcolm brogdon that's it's one of the things that's been kind of baffling is just his shooting percentages and and the way he's just not connecting from downtown at all what do you think has gone into that? Is it mental? Is it physical? Is there something you're noticing? I, I just, I'm so baffled by how bad his shooting percentages have been. You know, I, I
3: can't believe it's a mental thing. I got to believe it's physical. I, I have no idea. I have no like specific insight into it, uh, but he is a mentally strong dude. Yeah. And he understands sports psychology probably as well as anybody in the league. And I don't see him being one of those guys who's going to, you know, get flaky after he sees a couple of buckets not go in or a couple of shots not going in. And all of a sudden, you know, that metastasizes into his being a, a bad shooter over a number of games. I, and, and shooting a basketball is a really it's a complicated physical activity. You know, you need a lot of things firing in the correct order to get, you know, the ball to go in the bucket from anywhere. And and for him, he's had so many dings o- over, you know, this season, whether it was, you know, a concussion or a groin or a, he's had a lot of stuff go haywire. And maybe all of those, the residual of all of those is conspiring to keep
1: the ball out of the bucket. Could it also be the fact like the shot attempts that he's getting, the looks that he's getting, because... You know, you look at playing last couple of years with Giannis. You know, he's you know all the focus is on Giannis, and, and now really, if you look at it, even though TJ Warren's been putting up great numbers, you don't see teams like over you know compensating to stop TJ Warren. They're more concerned with the the pick and roll, the pick and pop with Sabonis and Malcolm. So, could it just be the looks that he's getting?
3: You know, that could be part of it, but he's had games, and and especially in the early part of the season, if memory serves where he was very productive, yeah. and he knocked down shots. And so I, I don't think it's a matter of scheme, and I don't think it's defensive adjustments as much as it's probably physical. When he goes to the line, I mean, I've seen a multiple. This is a guy who's going to shoot 90% from the line, and he's missing two in a row sometimes. Yeah. And and you don't see that with Malcolm Brogdon. So so I think somehow this is, uh you know, a, again, a conspiracy of physical maladies that I, I think have kind of hamstrung him.
1: Yeah, and it's it's funny because you think about all the injuries he's had. I mean, he's got hit in the head by his teammate, uh, had to get stitches, yeah. you know, the dislocated finger. It's like it's one thing after the other, and it's nothing that really connects to anything. It's just injuries have just kind of happened to him, and the injuries that we were worried about with his foot – really haven't been the problem this year. It's been back spasm. It's been different things. So just monitoring that, I think a lot of times he could probably play through them if it's the playoffs. But with it being the regular season, with us being guard heavy, I don't think he pushes himself when he's hurt. But I do want to talk about Oladipo now, who left the game against the Knicks early with back spasms is what they reported. Uh, It looks like he's going to miss tonight's game against Toronto. We're not sure if he'll be able to play Tuesday versus the Hornets as they come into town. So you see a guy that's, Come back from this long term injury, and then he deals with back spasms. Uh, how concerned are you about Alidibo?
3: I'm really concerned yeah. because backs are flaky, yeah, you know you you can you can kind of set your clock by hamstrings, right, and depending on the severity of the injury. but backs, man backs can flare up, they can repeat, they can you can have a lot of things that that kind of linger with back injuries depending on the injury you know, you have a network uh, it's a complicated network of of muscles in your back and if you don't if you don't heal it completely then sometimes it gets squirrely these i hate back injuries i, yeah. I mean nobody doesn't I, i'm not unique in that but i, I for a guy like oladipo who's sort of a, hey, I'm going to push it as hard as I can. I really don't like this at all.
1: Yeah, it does make you a little bit nervous because we kind of saw when Paul George came back early from his injury, uh, back when he broke his leg, uh, they had to like carry him off the court the very last game of the season just because he re an injury. And I feel like there's a possibility that that could be the same instance here with Oladipo, why the injuries might not be related you know just coming back putting you know that wear and tear on your body trying to get in a groove of things maybe he's overdoing it maybe he's you know i don't know exactly how to say it but it just makes you worried when you see a guy that's dealt with a long-term injury get injured again the pacers are going to be careful about this we mentioned they have a lot of guards on this team and i think you know not a blessing in disguise but i think not having to rush him back and feeling comfortable with the guys that you have, you know, it it doesn't feel like winning games without Oladipo is a problem.
3: No, you know, they were a really good basketball team without him. Uh, With Brogdon, or maybe without Sabonis, there'd be some, uh, you'd kind of have to put together sort of a learning curve for the guys to get used to playing whatever that rotation would be. But without Vic, they know how this works. Jeremy slides into the starting lineup. They know the first unit, the second unit. They understand how to feed off each other. So of, of all the guys to go down, you hate it for Victor, and you really hate it for the Pacers because maybe they were starting to turn a quarter and figure out how to play better with Vic on the floor than without him. But if you had to lose a guy, at least you know what this team is without him.
1: Yeah, the only concern I have probably is the chemistry uh, as far as Victor getting more acclimated with the guys. I mean, I still think right. that uh, it's a little rusty. It, it it looks choppy at times, and I'm not saying that it won't ever get better because I do think if he comes back in a week or two, they can figure it out by April as far as the chemistry goes. But I do think you know anything that's going to set them back chemistry-wise is a problem. Uh, but it's just difficult because you want a guy like Aaron Holiday... To continue to get minutes and continue to develop because I think Aaron Holliday is really good and it stinks that he's the odd man out. I, I don't understand how the Pacers can get him minutes. It's just too much of a log logjam there. But yeah. I do think that he could be a, a silent X factor come a playoff series just because he can score the bucket uh, in bunches. He, he has no fear. I, I love his confidence and he's not a bad defender. So, you know, it, it's just one of those things I'm, I'm curious to see. How he reacts to this opportunity?
3: Well, that's exactly right, and he does need to continue to develop. He, he's still a young player. We don't know what his ceiling is. Um, him getting more opportunities to play, obviously, pretty good for him. And we know what he is, right? I mean, he can come off the bench and get you eighteen. He can he can start for you and and not give up a lot to the guy, you know, the opposing uh, point guard. So you you feel good about him kind of being reinserted into the rotation it's a good problem to have right i mean if you've got too much talent we like that better than having too little and having a guy like aaron holiday who can step in you know what he is he knows what he is and and you're going to get reasonable levels of quality on both ends of the floor that is that's that's a terrific plus
1: well let me ask you this since jeremy lamb has gone to the bench and played more with that second unit do you feel like the second unit has looked worse, better, or the same?
3: Well, it really wasn't very good uh against the Knicks, was it? No, I mean, it was plus bad. minuses. The the second unit was, was a problem. Jeremy didn't hit a lot of shots. He he's one of those flow guys to me. You know, when he when he gets in the flow, he's capable of scoring a bunch of buckets and, and defensively I think he's kind of clever and he's a reasonably good rebounder. I, I think it's tough for him. You know, I mean this is He showed himself worthy of a starting spot on this team when Oladipo was down. Oladipo comes back. He's got to go sit and be a part of a second unit. He knew that was coming. Like This wasn't a surprise to him. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know what? These guys, they're both basketball players who want to win. They're human beings who want to excel. And they're businessmen who want to earn. And Jeremy Lamb, you know, that's the boxes that were being checked over the first fifty games of the season are no longer being checked.
1: Yeah, and here's here's the only concerns I have with Jeremy Lamb, and it's 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 kind of critical, but I'm not trying to be too critical. The thing is he's on a very tradable contract, and yeah. you know, you you look at a guy like Oladipo, you're not sure what he's ever going to be again. I mean you're still unsure of that. He's got a contract extension coming up. Aaron Holiday's rookie contract is you know going to be up soon eventually what do the Pacers do are they going to you know let Aaron Holiday test the market are they going to make sure that they sign him up lock him up long term to play off that that bench you know then you got T.J. McConnell who is not the long-term answer but he's the right now answer so uh, trying to figure this all out for the future I mean do you think there is really a a place for jeremy lamb as a as a key contributor off the bench or do you think that it would be better for the pacers to maybe look to move him in a package deal to upgrade at another position
3: well you know he's going to be 28 years old uh his contract is movable i I don't know what they're going to do you know he's a he's a nice luxury to have yeah right i mean he's a guy like we said he's a guy who can on a given night can go and get you twenty five points. He rebounds pretty well. He competes. He's not a problem guy. You know, he he fits in the locker room really, really well. And and so I I don't think that you want to you want to be, because what are you going to get right? I mean, yeah. if you were going to move him, you'd want to move him for picks. You're you're not going to move him for an upgrade, right? In all yeah. likelihood, unless you want to swap for a big someplace and and you're so you're swapping for a positional upgrade that Lamb doesn't occupy but I don't know I don't know what good comes of it unless you can deal him and, and I don't think you can go out and get a first round pick for for the guy in a way that's going to be meaningful to you maybe a late first rounder but I, I think that Jeremy Lamb just kind of fits what this team is I, I don't think that he needs uh, a whole he doesn't need to play 35 minutes to be effective he doesn't need 35 minutes to earn his money right. and uh but aaron Holiday's a different thing aaron holiday's got no place on this team long term at least not as a starter he isn't yeah. ever going to start for the indiana pacers but i think that he's good enough to start someplace else i mean he could go to a place like chicago and do do really good things for a bulls team that kind of needs what he brings um, and, and that would be, I think that would be kind of doing him a favor, right? You, you'd be just, you, you'd, instead of him seeing it as, hey, I'm being dealt, I'm going to miss Indianapolis, it'd be like, hey, I got an opportunity here and this is a really good thing for me. And what the now what the Pacers could get back from a team, that becomes the, the issue. I, at the trade deadline, it wouldn't surprise me if there were a lot of phone conversations with kevin pritchard uh, about moving aaron holiday but the return's got to be the return and if you don't get a first rounder back for him then you're you're not going to give him up
1: yeah and i I think with aaron holiday i want to before i get back into lamb i want to touch on this because i feel like aaron holiday can be a really special player but if he's the 11th or 10th man on the pacers roster and he's not in the regular rotation You know, what teams are going to ask for him is not going to be what the Pacers want in return because they're like, well, this guy is your third string point guard. You know, we're not going to give you a first round pick for your third string point guard. And then we're going to say, well, there's no deal here. But still, you're not getting development in a sense as far as on court time if he's sitting behind a McConnell and a Brogdon. But I do think, you know, he's talented enough that he could play. Like we even saw when yeah. when Jeremy Lamb was out, we, he can play that two guard. And I think there's even times when he could play alongside Malcolm, Oladipo, and Warren. Uh, just go a little bit smaller. Put Warren at the four. You can, you can have Brogdon guard threes. I mean, we've seen him do... Do it all year, guard LeBron, guard Giannis. I mean, he's capable and he's smart enough that he can do that. It's not the greatest option, but I think that you can do that, especially if Holiday reaches that sixth or seventh man level where you really want to get him a lot more minutes. And I think that would increase his value if the Pacers eventually want to move on or if he wants a bigger role, like you mentioned, a starter position. With Lamb, I, I think the only problem I have with him is just the inconsistency. You know, you yeah. see sometimes where he's just. You know, hitting everything, and then he'll go two or three games not hit any shots. And defensively, he can be good, but there's a lot of times where he gets beat, and he does the old man reach around, try to steal thing, and yeah. he gets out of position a lot. I just, think, <laughs> you know what I mean. I'm just saying, I, I feel like Lamb is. I think the ceiling might be higher for an Aaron Holiday than it is for a Jeremy Lamb, but for right now, I get why they're doing what they're doing as far as the rotation. But long term, I just think you know. If the Pacers, what happens if Depot leaves? Now what are you going to do? You know, that's why I wouldn't trade Holiday anytime soon, but I I would maybe look at moving Jeremy Lamb because I don't think he's going to get any better or any worse. I think who Jeremy Lamb is now is who he is for the rest of his career.
3: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, But Jeremy Lamb was a guy who's a 12th overall draft pick a few years ago. He's going to turn 28. So he's in the prime of his career. True, Um, He is inconsistent. But man, the dude heats up. And all of a sudden, he's a guy who's going to score you a lot of points. He's very, very long. uh, So he's he's the kind of defender that analytics would say is going to be he's going to get deflections and that kind of stuff. You're right. He can't play kind of uh, old man defense um but <laughs> you know what he he is a rotational player and so if you're going to give him up you've got to get back something that's going to be significant in your rotation with, with giving up aaron holiday you know you you can do that for future considerations like a draft pick because you're not going to miss him you're, you're not giving up anything in, in the box score as long as everybody's healthy you know mm-hmm. what i mean so you right. can you can go out and and take a chance that you're going to you know by making a deal you're going to get the 17th 18th overall pick you're not going to get a lottery pick for for Aaron but you can go get a guy where you know it's roll of the dice whether you might get somebody who can be rotational for you in a way that Aaron's not so um you know and d- that's one of those things that's one of those cool conversations we wish we could be a part of right is <laughs> kevin and and chad and ryan and and peter and donnie and all those guys sit down and hash this stuff out
1: yeah and that's the thing it's it's difficult because you you know last year he was involved in the mike conley trade rumors and the pacers said right. he wouldn't go that route and i and i understand that because conley's contract is so huge you know i'd rather pay malcolm brogdon uh, the twenty million we're paying him compared to the thirty plus that Mike Conley is making, especially for the age difference, and I think that's one of the things too, you have to look at is the age bracket of all these guys. I mean, they all kind of yeah. line up together. Justin Holiday is the old man at thirty one. I'll be interested to see if he comes back next year, because if he doesn't, the Pacers still they don't have any power forwards. I mean, their two best power forwards on this roster technically are T.J. Leaf and Jakar Sampson. That's the only two they have. So you got a lot of guys playing out of position. I would like to personally see T.J. Warren play a little bit more small ball for. I think he's smart enough defensively now that he can do it. And I think he could really be a mismatch against some other teams that have you know slower, bigger guys. But anyway, Kent, there's a lot of things we can talk about, really. We haven't <laughs> seen enough of this Pacers team in this this last third of the season uh, to really get into talking about the future of this team. So we'll wait till next week to do that. But I do want to talk a little bit about the injury that just occurred last night. Uh, on Saturday it's a Ben Simmons of the Philadelphia 76 so yeah. someone who's been fantastic really all year long uh, very deserving all-star and you know they got their butts handed to him uh, last Saturday versus the Bucks. the Bucks just completely destroyed them and Ben Simmons is someone that's a huge part now he is being evaluated for a back injury I believe it is and he will miss the next game against Atlanta they play New York this week so they don't have a strong schedule so they're not going to rush him back but you know, There's been a lot of injuries that have been kind of circulating recently uh, with strains and stuff like that. Do you think this is a cause for concern for the Philadelphia 76ers, and how does this impact the Pacers as far as seating goes?
3: Well, I think it's huge because Ben Simmons is a really good two-way player. He, he can't shoot. We all know he can't shoot threes. But you're looking at a guy who uh, assists about eight a game, rebounds about eight a game, scores about 17 a game, and and really provides matchup problems a plenty at the point guard position is as teams are, are continue to evolve toward positionless basketball ben simmons is like that guy right where you know you, you look at him and you say okay i mean my god what do we how do we adjust to a six foot ten inch point guard who can handle the way he does who can defend the way he does rebound the way he does he he's an anomaly Right, and and so you've got to figure out you, you've got to scheme for the seventy sixers in a way that you don't really against almost anybody else, and and so his loss is enormous. You, you're not going to get consistent play out of Embiid, but you you did get pretty consistent stuff out of Simmons, and so I I think it's absolutely huge, and I I think that it's that, you know so he's got to back. We don't know when that's going to heal or how it's going to heal, what the timeline is. If he if it takes him a while to get back to full strength, you know, the 76ers, they've got problems because they're not really, really deep.
1: Yeah, and they don't really have any point guard depth. I mean, right. Neto, Neto, Alec Burks, I mean, you know, who are they going to run a point? Uh, Josh Richardson's been running a little bit of point guard with him out as well. So I, I'm intrigued by the Sixers team. I think that, you know, they are lengthy enough. They could cause a lot of problems come playoff time. But... I don't like all their pieces as well as like the fitting together as I thought they would. It was good on paper, but what they've done on the court, I've not been that impressed with, you know, you look at a team like Boston, who's been really playing well. Uh, They'll play the Lakers on Sunday, this afternoon, interested to see how they match up. But I think, you know, we talked about it last week. We said Boston would be the team we'd want to play the most, but you know, the, the teams are all going to be tough for the Pacers. There's no doubt about it. It, there's gonna be mismatches any which way you look at it. So honestly, I, I'm more so just wanting the Pacers to be healthy. I have a feeling they're gonna finish fifth. It just makes the most sense because we would rather finish sixth and avoid the Bucks until the finals if, or the conference finals if we can. Right. But the way the Pacers are, they're not gonna take any games off. They have 26 games left, I believe. Uh, yes, 11 of them are against teams above 500. I can't remember what the actual. I think it's 15, are under 500, and 11 are teams above 500. And they have a lot of Eastern Conference teams in there. They got the Celtics twice. They've got the Heat twice. They've got the Sixers once again. They've got the Raptors tonight, which I'll recap on the last segment of this episode. And I'm trying to think of who else they play again. I think they play Milwaukee one more time and philadelphia one more time so they've got like eight games against eastern playoff teams that you're really worried about i think brooklyn and orlando might be sprinkled in there somewhere again but as far as those games go i mean how big is it for the pacers to just take care of business against the bad teams
3: oh it's critical i mean that's always the thing is beat up on the patsies and then split against the really good teams and if Mm -hmm. the pacers can do that down the stretch You know, with 15 against teams under 500, like you said, and 11 against teams over 500, you know, you're you're talking about a possibility of maybe finishing, if if that all comes to pass, maybe 19 and seven. And if they're 19 and seven, they're going to be the fourth seed. I think. I think they'll catch uh, Philadelphia, and I think they'll catch Miami um, if they get that done. But that, you know what? That's uh, it's a lot easier to talk about in, in a projection. You know, going out and doing it—that's a wholly different thing.
1: Well, we saw that. uh We thought that that home stretch is going to be a pretty nice one for the Pacers. I mean, yeah, you had some tough games, but you know, you lose to the Knicks, you lose to the Pelicans without Ingram and Zion. It, it's just one of those things you can't overlook anybody. But I think the Pacers know that they're and get ready time. I mean, they're only three games back of the four seed, like you mentioned. Miami has got a pretty tough schedule. If I if I recall right, um, you know they've they've got some tough games come up in March. The Pacers have a couple road trips as well that'll be challenging. They've got the Texas road trip, and then they've got another West Coast road trip, I believe. So yeah. it, it's it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, but I'm excited for this team, Kent, And I think that you know even if Oladipo goes down, we've got enough chemistry with those guys to to reach that 48 50 win mark. And honestly, I would just keep riding the hot hand of uh, T.J. Warren and Sabonis and let the other guys just kind of fill in where they can because if those two guys are going and productive, the team is just better overall.
3: There's no question. And, and what I hope we see as these last 26 games unfold, I hope that we see the Miles Turner that we saw for the, the two games, three games prior to the break yeah. uh, against the Knicks, not quite as active. But, uh, man, when when he asserts himself a little bit on the offensive end, the Pacers begin to play at a much higher level. Yeah. And and so I, I don't like him stuck over in the corner. I understand why they do it. I hate that kind of offense because I think that it it penalizes Miles because he does something really well. you know. So because he can hit threes, they're going to stand him in the corner. And I think activity on the offensive end – breeds activity on the defensive end, and I think vice versa. If you're active defensively, you're going to be more active offensively. And so hopefully they fig and and I I don't think it's scheme. We asked Nate about this the other day, and it was like, no, this is just, you know, Miles has made the decision kind of that it's time for him to go get his and and not be selfish but just play in the way that makes this team as good as it can be. And and so I think that Miles is huge over the last 26 games.
1: Yeah, I, I would love to see that, too. And I think, honestly, um, as, as much as Sabonis runs that pick and pop and that pick and roll, I, I would be okay if, even with Sabonis out there, we saw Miles run a little bit just to give the defense yeah. a different look. And, and, you know, Sabonis isn't a great three-point shooter, but he can kind of play similar to Thaddeus Young, where he can spread the floor and then crash When he needs to, because I think offensive rebounds are all about hustle, energy and effort, because if you watch any NBA game, you tell most guys don't box out, Uh, you know, they might, but a lot of them run towards the basket. And that's where the long rebounds come from. I think Sabonis could be a little bit more assertive on the offensive glass if he isn't involved in every offensive possession. And and allow Turner to to get back to that bread and butter with his 18-foot jump shot in that pick and pop. Or even extending to the three-point line because it'll open up opportunities for other people. I I actually just want to see a good balance from both because... It is frustrating to just see Turner standing out in the corner because he can hit threes. You know, It's not fair to him to basically penalize him for being good at something. That's a great point. And defensively, I mean, you can just tell how much better the team is when he is on the floor. And sometimes the numbers, I honestly have seen this, the numbers don't agree with that. The numbers say the Pacers' defense is worse with Miles on the court. But I think that also attributes to them playing against tougher competition with Miles out there.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, when he's when when he's matched up it, like he's a matchup guy. Yeah. It, it, defensively, I mean if he's going up against a guy like Andre Drummond, Andre Dre Drummond is going to eat him for lunch. You know, but if he's matched up correctly against the right guy in the right scheme, he could be a really dominant defensive basketball player and and hopefully, you know, that's what happens if they get the 76ers in the first round. Uh, I kind of, you know, uh, maybe I'm nuts, but I kind of like he and Sabonis going up against Embiid a little bit and and think that they can, you know, they can mitigate Embiid to an extent and, and frustrate Embiid to an extent. And if you frustrate him, he, he'll he go away. You know, he kind of withers under strain. And, and so mm-hmm. if it's against the 76ers, I kind of like the Pacers with that matchup.
1: I do too, and and I think one of the things you can do is you can instead of trying to leave him you know, leave Turner or Sabonis on Embiid Island, the zone might work in that situation. Yeah, and I also think double teaming. I mean, we've seen Boston do it because we know Daniel Ty, six foot seven center, cannot hold a zone against Embiid by himself. But what they do is they send an extra defender over and they get the ball out of his hands. Now, if Simmons is not going to shoot threes, whoever's guarding Simmons can double team help off, but you cannot get beat. With him going to the basket because when Simmons gets going downhill, you have no chance of stopping him. He is a forceful player, but I don't, you know, I don't trust the three-point shooting of the Philadelphia 76ers. And now they've brought Korkmaz, it looks like, into the starting lineup and put Horford on the bench. Um, I think that actually helps the Pacers. Personally, because defensively I think Crawford causes problems for both Turner and Sabonis. But it would it would be shocking. I think that one of us is going to finish fifth and the other will finish sixth. Uh possibly fourth. I just I feel like Miami, they're gonna finish fourth or fifth. I just feel like Philadelphia, they're not gonna be able to get to fourth with their schedule, with their injuries and with their lack of bench depth. I mean, what they did uh pre trade deadline, they went out and got Glenn Robinson the third, and we know what Glenn is. He's okay. He's not a game changer. Right. Same with Burks. And if you got Simmons hurt, I just don't trust the Sixers team right now. And Embiid calling himself the best player in the world the other night, and then yeah. just getting absolutely roasted by Giannis Saturday. It was just one of those things where the Bucks are the team to get through. You know, everybody else is beatable, but it's going to be difficult for the Pacers. But at the end of the day, I just think. This Pacers team has the pieces and they just have to continue to figure out what's going to work for them and be willing to adjust and be adaptive in a series and not just stick with what they always do because that could almost be a detriment to this team.
3: You know, and I think that that's a big part of what Nate's trying to do with having them run that zone mm-hmm. is get them up to speed running the zone. And there are going to be more zone packages that they deploy over the last 26 games, they're going to become more diverse, not just run that 3-2, but get a little bit more diverse with it. And I think that that's part of getting ready for the playoffs. If they can become a team where they're more difficult to prepare for over the course of a long series, then obviously that is a, uh, that's a a—that's a real point in their favor in in whatever that series is. So I, I think a lot of people kind of dog out, Nate, I love Nate. I I think he's a terrific coach. I think he's a pro. I I think this is a team of pros. I think they were gathered because they're the right kind of guys to be led by a guy like Nate McMillan. And uh, after the break, we've talked to him twice. And in both conversations, he was really animated and seemed like he was having a really good time doing what he's doing, and that is a good thing for the Pacers. When Nate's miserable, it's because he knows what's coming. He's going to be miserable. When he's happy, it seems like he's happy because he feels really optimistic about what they're going to do next.
1: So if the Pacers lose in four or five games in the playoffs, do you think <laughs> that there should be any conversation about his job?
3: Zero. Zero. Okay, and, and I don't think that there will be. I, I don't think Kevin would make that move. Um, the one guy that they could lose is Chad Buchanan. I, the Bulls yeah. either are talking to him or they're talking about him. I'd hate to see him go to Chicago because Chicago's front office right now is an unholy mess. And I think <laughs> Chad would bring a lot of logic to it. And we don't need another team in the East being logical and building a winner.
1: Yeah, I like the guard packs uh, front office for Chicago. We do. It's doing great (laughs) for the Pacers. I mean, but anyway, Kent, uh, it's been fun talking to you. Hopefully (laughs) next week we'll have some more basketball to talk about than just a one-game sample. So uh, not not a ton, but we're just kind of going off here uh, just talking like two guys talking about the Pacers. So you guys can follow Kent on Twitter at Kent Sterling. And coming up next segment, uh, I'm going to record it later, but I'm going to recap this Raptors game against the Pacers. So uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Alrighty everybody, we are back to recap the uh, Pacers game, I guess you'd call it, against the Toronto Raptors, and I honestly was out and about tonight, not able to watch a game live, and I was going to come home, watch it before I recorded, but when I saw that we lost by 46 points, I thought that was meaningless of my, and not a good use of time, but one of our great writers for PacersTalk.net, dot net, Shea Orr, watched the game, and he is joining me live right now to discuss the game. So, Shea, welcome to your first appearance on Setting the Pace.
2: Thanks for having me, Alex. Uh, this is not this is unfortunately the way you want not the way you want to come on, but uh, after a tough loss like that, but you know it is what it is, and we we'll just have to move forward.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So, let's talk a little bit about this game. Uh, some of the highlights, I guess, or the lowlights, but some of the things that you want to talk about in this loss, uh, we'll start with we'll start with uh, your top three things you want to talk about with this episode.
2: I think you know off the get go, um, I thought the coaching decision, the sh- decisions throughout the game were uh, obviously a, a big impact on part of the huge deficit of the loss. Um, I think to start out with was you know they started Aaron Holiday instead of Jeremy Lamb, and I think. You know, with Aaron Holiday, Holiday being out of the rotation for such a long period of time and not getting a lot of minutes, I, I didn't think it was the right move to throw him into the starting lineup and feed him to the Wolves against an elite team. Mm -hmm. I thought uh, Jeremy Lamb probably should have, you know, got those minutes. And plus, he's you know more familiar with uh, playing with the starting lineup. Even though with Victor out, he kind of I can see Nate's reason to keep him on the bench because he wants to keep him with those bench guys. But with Aaron missing so many.
1: Let me ask you this, because this is the only thing that popped into my mind. With Aaron Holiday starting, does that mean that they're not that concerned with Oladipo's injury? Meaning he's probably more than likely going to come back in the next game, if not Tuesday, the following game. And this way you can solidify that chemistry on the bench? Because that's kind of what I thought. Maybe they're not as concerned about Oladipo's injury as maybe some of us might be.
2: And they they might not be as concerned. um, But... I think when you're playing against a team like Toronto, um, and we've we struggled with in the past, we've lost prior to this game twelve straight games there. Um, I think you have to you have to play Jeremy just because at the starting lineup just because of his uh scoring ability and decision making, I think Aaron obviously is a more of a score first kind of guy and he's he's always not really looking to make the pass off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um I just think that made a, a big impact in how they came out in that game. Um, they they started out with uh, a score of 13 to one. Um, they couldn't get anything going offensively. Uh, defensively, they just they looked like a mess. Um, they they kind of flirted with a zone defense. It looked like, and it, they Toronto just kept finding the open man. Um, they they did really they had really good ball movement. Um, I just you just kind of want to see Aaron come off the bench just because he hasn't played a whole lot. Um, Yeah, it's just, it it was a tough way to see McMillan go because he, uh, I figured he would go with his best bet, not just, you know, okay, Vic's out for one game. Let's throw Holiday in there. Um, Mm -hmm. I just think it would have been safer just to have, to get the win, have Jeremy in the starting lineup and just, you know, let it flow for one game and then get back with Victor and, go from there, but looks yeah. like I think Nate had different, a different mind.
1: <laughs> well, to, to just kind of speak to what you're saying about Aaron Holiday having a bad game, which, understandable, like, <laughs> you know, in and out of the rotation, trying to get a feel for himself, trying yeah. to prove that he deserves minutes, it's a tough spot for a young guy. Uh, obviously, the plus minus on this game is atrocious from every single person but Aaron Holliday had a negative 35 (laughs) on tonight's game. So, you know, not that I'm trying to sit here. This game is just so bad it's, like, laughable. Like, I I can't even take it that seriously. Uh, But when you're just looking, like, the starters, it's a bonus. Minus 28, Warren minus 28, Brogdon minus 29, uh, Holliday minus 35, and Turner had the best plus minus with a minus 26 out of the starters. So (laughs) when when that's the case, this game, it was – out of hand at the very beginning, like you said. So it's kind of like I, I don't even know if it would have mattered if Lamb started. you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, and I don't think um, – it's not only Aaron Holiday's fault. I think the whole team, just as a general, just didn't come out and play. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Miles Turner was 3 for 10. T.J. Warren was 3 for 12. Brogdon 4 for 15. Sabona 6 for 16. And Holiday was 5 for 12. As a whole, in that starting lineup, they just didn't shoot the ball well. Um, and I I thought defensively, they looked like they were playing on their heels the whole time. They just never really looked like they won. They had the ambition to go out there and try to win that game. Yeah. No
1: doubt about it. So let's move on to the next thing you want to talk about.
2: Uh, the next thing I think was, uh, ball movement. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they kind of slowed the offense down and they let Toronto kind of find, you know, their weaknesses and they were able to, uh, basically decide every move that they were going to make. And, uh, I think that's what helped lead to their 17 turnovers was just letting the defense, Toronto's defense, just kind of read every play, and they they literally attacked us on every single play. Um, they got the hand their hands on the ball quite often. Um, I just thought if they you know played more of a flowing offense, um, I think it really could have made a difference in this game. Not that we would have won, but I think it wouldn't have been a 46 point blowout. I mean that's just that's unacceptable. Um, these it's guys are in the of. NBA. Yeah, I mean, they just have to come out and play better. Um, I think a lot of it is just coaching. I mean, you have to motivate these guys. Um, you know, I know it's... No, see. I you're down by you. a lot. The,
1: don't try... This is a game that I can't put on McMillan. Like, if you have to motivate a bunch of millionaires to go out there and play against a really good team in the Eastern Conference, that's on the players. I, I'm sorry to disagree with you here, but... Personally, like, I didn't watch a game, so I have no idea, but I'm just curious, like, what kind of shot, shot attempts were they getting? Were they getting good looks? Were they four shots? I mean, you, you said Toronto was kind of dictating everything they were doing, so I'm just curious from your perspective from watching this game, what kind of shots were the Pacers getting? Was it at the end of shot clock? Was it rushed, you know, just trying to take anything they can get that Toronto's giving them, or was it just good shots not falling?
2: Um, I wouldn't say they got too many good looks. I think a lot of them were contested. Um, there was a couple ones a couple shots that got ran down to the end of the shot clock. Um, but I think a lo- they I think they missed several shots. I don't remember the exact percentage, but they um, I think in the paint, they were they had a terrible percentage. They couldn't finish layups. I think Brogdon had three layups that didn't even hit the rim, which is pretty bad. I mean, for a guy that's basically been pretty dominant with, you know, reverse layups and uh, shots inside the paint this year, I think that was pretty disappointing. And I, I just I don't know what has went wrong with him. You know, even after All-Star break, I kind of expected him to to get back to his old self with having a week off and, and just kind of working on his game or at least taking a break. Um, but I, I haven't seen anything improve on his end. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the shots just – he wasn't getting – Players weren't getting what they uh, wanted. They were pretty much contested every single time. Yeah. Um, There wasn't many open shots.
1: Toronto's a good team. Like, let's not act like Toronto's not one of the better defensive teams. But the Pacers have competed with Toronto in all three games. Even if they lost, you know, they were right there towards the end. So this is a game that you feel like the Pacers are going to really want to make a statement. Uh, They lost a game there that they should not never have lost, and they come out there and lose by 46. Now, I'm sure Toronto remembered – how tough that game was so they weren't taking the Pacers lightly but I think th- this just happens in the NBA when you play these kind of games you know you have one or two of these every year I'm not saying 46 points uh, is the norm but there are games where you get blown out by 25 30 points and it's just everything's going wrong for you but you, you bring up a good point with Brogdon I talked a little bit of, about it on the first segment with Kent Sterling for today's show Brogdon has been really bad recently i don't know what the cause of it is uh kent thought it might be injury related and that he's just dealing with nagging injuries and it's affecting the way he's shooting which i can see that but i want to get your opinion shay because personally like since oladipo came back i have felt very different about this team and it's not oladipo's fault it's just this team has played so bad since he returned i mean they beat the bulls barely in overtime you know, they had to hang on to beat the Knicks on Friday night. The only good game they really had in that stretch was against the Bucks until they almost gave that away in the fourth quarter. So it's like, I feel like this is a talented team, but I also feel like they haven't got their issues figured out, especially if you see this 46-point loss. And I just don't feel confident in this team like I did uh, when they were playing you know, when they were 31, and I believe it was 17 or 18 at one point, you know, before they hit that huge losing streak, I just don't feel like they're the same team that they were, and I want to get your thoughts on that.
2: I completely agree, I think Brogdon has a, a lot to do with it, um, his his play just hasn't been the same, and I honestly think that he is more of an off-ball kind of guy, um, he, he runs the same play, and I think it's McMillan also, you know, play calls a lot, but I think, they the the bonus, the bonus, taking rolls and which is fine. They can execute that very well. But I think a lot of times defenses figure that out at least halfway through the game. And I think that's why a lot of times in the second half, you see the Pacers kind of lose that lead at times just because the, the other team goes in at halftime and that's, they noticed that was one of their weaknesses going into, into the halftime and coming out. I think they really, they correct on that. Um, but, yeah, I think Brogdon does have some injuries ling- lingering around from before All-Star break. And um, I think he's just just trying to get to the end of the season. Um, I don't know. It's just a really tough situation. Like, I don't know if Oladipo coming back has an effect on uh, how, how he's played or how he's approaching the games. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. They got 20, 25 games, I think it is, to mm-hmm. the end of the regular season. I just hope they're able to get that lined out because they just don't look the same, and I don't know what it could be.
1: Yeah, it's, it's different because yeah. last year we kind of saw them uh, stumble into the playoffs, but that was for obvious reasons. You know, Victor O'Dipo goes down with the injury in January, and, and they limped into the playoffs, beat all the bad teams, lost all the good teams. Now... Now we're just not seeing consistently good basketball from this team, and it, it's it could be a Brogdon problem, it, it could be a coaching problem, it could be an Oladipo kind of threw everything off whack with the chemistry. I mean, there's a lot of different reasonings why this could be the case, but we got 25 games. I, I, I'm not I'm not overly concerned, Shea, but I am a little bit concerned because I do think the Pacers. <laughs> they have good pieces, but I don't necessarily think they all fit well together. Um, I talked about it with Kent earlier. We have zero power forwards. We're playing two centers in the starting lineup. We're playing uh, a wing as our backup power forward with the second unit. It's There's, there's pieces that this team is missing, and we knew – going into the season this was not a championship level team now they exceeded expectations without oladipo so when you're like thinking oladipo's coming back you're thinking oh my gosh this team could make it to the eastern conference finals could even make it to the nba finals if they get lucky now you're just praying that they can you know make a first round series competitive at this point where we're at right now because it's been so it's been so hard to watch the last 10 games have just not been good basketball even you know there's been moments but there's been a lot of bad and it's just like I'm not sure what exactly it is but maybe the Pacers are just you know uh, a good not great team that we were hoping for and maybe there's a couple moves they need to make but just to kind of wrap this game up there's not a whole lot to talk about I know that you're doing the post game recap for this for pacerstalk.net so anything that we missed I'm sure you'll have in that article but going forward are you Confident that this Pacers team can figure it out come playoff time.
2: Um, I wouldn't say I'm completely sold on being confident. Um, mm-hmm. I think they will improve. I don't know how much better they can get. Um, I mean they played they haven't played a lot of games with Oladipo. I'm curious to see how you know the more games he plays, how he's going to fit into the offense. I think offense for them with Oladipo is going to be the biggest question. Um, I think defensively with Old Depot out there, they're definitely better just because Old Depot doesn't, I mean, he's not shooting the ball on defense. Um, I think they can, they played collectively to bet better on uh, defense. But I think, um, you know, Turner, he's going to have to, tonight he looked really hesitant on a lot of uh, situations on offense. If he can get the ball um, on the wing and make more things happen. Uh I think that's just – Turner just needs more involved on offense in general. Um, yeah. Sabo, yes. uh, Sabonis, he's effective in the paint, but he's getting double-teamed quite a bit down there, um, especially in this game. He got double-teamed down there. Um, I just think if, if he's going to have the ball down there and he's getting double-teamed, Turner's got to be able to make the threes. Uh, he was 0 for 4 from 3 tonight. Um, that, I mean, it's just one game, but that's something right. he's going to have to keep, you know, making those consistently um, and attacking the basket as well. But, yeah, they uh, – I don't know if they need to add anybody. Um, I see a lot of people are talking about bringing Lance back. I don't I don't <laughs> think they need that. Um, but is that, is that real or more. is that
1: just fan talk? You know what I mean?
2: That's got to be fan talk. <laughs> I just don't think that's, that's ever going to happen again, but – yeah. Um I, I do think they might need more depth at a forward spot like you were saying like they're they're playing basically a shooting guard yeah. at the the four spot and off the bench and it's just if you play Philly in the first round it's not going to work. I just don't believe in that. No. Um I just think they need to get bigger off the bench. Um if that's like adding a not saying joke him no it'd be somebody else with us but somebody that size and reliable and has a little bit, better, little bit of veteran leadership I think that would be huge
1: for them yeah Uh, well
2: i just think they're one they're just one more piece away maybe but i don't
1: know i would say they're at least two pieces away to be a real contender because they they just they just have they're good they have a lot of good players but nobody great and you know that's that's fine that's how they're built uh we can say sabonis is great but i think that he's really good i don't think he's at the great level uh oladipo maybe if Pre-injury could have been great, but the injury is going to set him back, and you know, I don't know why I'm getting nervous about him entering free agency in 2021. Uh, I'm trying to act like it's not. I feel I honestly, like, I feel the same way I felt when Paul George requested a trade out of Indiana to LA. That's kind of the same vibe I'm getting from Oladipo now, and it's, I don't know if it's just me being the pessimistic Pacer fan that I can be sometimes, but I just kind of get that vibe. But Anyway, I just – I want to talk about Sabonis real quick because you bring up a good point. The Pacers' offense is so heavy through Sabonis, uh, especially with the starters and the second unit he comes in. I mean, he's playing – I mean, even in this blowout loss, I mean, we know Nate plays those guys in blowout losses. Like, there's no doubt about it. In this blowout loss, uh, Sabonis played 31 minutes. Okay, that's way too many minutes when you lose by 46 points. And – he, he runs the offense, basically, for the second unit. He I mean, I know McConnell does, but Sabonis is so involved in it. Same thing on the starting unit in, in the closed games. I talked with Ken about this. I'm sorry for reiterating things, people, but I, I really believe that we got to get Miles Turner more involved in the pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop situations. That way we're not so one-dimensional with what we're doing. And that can be a criticism on Nate if you want to be critical of how he's doing things because I really believe, like, you give Turner some opportunities to do the pick and pop that he did last year with Carlson. He can make teams pay and he can stretch the floor that way without just being a stretch four that's sustaining standing in the corner. This gets him involved and this would allow Sabonis to crash the offensive glass a little bit more on those misses. Now, the other thing is I think Sabonis is fantastic passing out of the double team. It's just guys have to figure out how to react to that situation. It goes back to a couple of years ago against Cleveland. Oladipo was getting double teamed at the top of the key how do you break that it's real simple it took them till about game six or seven to figure out how to break it with Sabonis in there so they got to be quicker to figure out these situations and if teams are already starting to show their hands and double teaming Sabonis like they are that means somebody's got to be open and and we've got to figure out how to make teams pay for double teaming you know our our go-to players so that that's something to watch for and I think that's a good point you brought up
2: yeah, I mean, like you said, thirty-one points for Sabonis is just way too many in a forty-six point blowout. Yeah. Goga only played nine minutes. I mean, that just that can't happen. He's got to get more minutes, and especially against a good team like this. I think Goga could have really benefited from just having more minutes against a, a team like this. And uh, you know, he's not going to get a whole lot of minutes this year, obviously, because he's a rookie and he's a long way away from being any any kind of rotational uh, player. But I think those minutes tonight he could have really used.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, as we wrap this up, just give me a quick update on the Jeremy Lamb injury situation.
2: Um, not a whole lot's been rele- uh, released about it. Um, I saw he is getting an MRI tomorrow okay. when he gets back to Indy. Um, they're not. They said it shouldn't be any structural damage or any broken bone. So that's that's a huge uh, relief. Um, but I wouldn't expect him to be out any more than probably a week. Um, it's hard telling how long he could be out with that kind of injury.
1: Yeah, it could almost be a blessing in disguise if Victor comes back and get Aaron Holliday in that second unit where he was playing pretty well with McConnell, Sabonis, and McDermott and uh, his brother. But at the end of the day, you know, you don't want any guy to go down. But we we want Jeremy Lamb to be healthy because I think that he is a big part of this team and clearly our sixth man and someone that we can trust over anybody else really on that bench to help us out as far as. Playing with starters because, like you mentioned at the beginning of the this segment, the Pacers have been much better uh, with Lamb starting than Aaron Holliday. So, anyway, Shay, I've got to I've got to finish up this episode here and got to go do all the production behind it and uh, put it together. So, to make myself feel a little bit better about this Pacers game, I'm going to drown myself and a, a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and a Dr. Pepper. A lot of sugar before bed, but hey, when you're fat, you don't care. So uh, how, how are you handling this loss? What, how are you coping with it?
2: Uh, well, it's, it's not going to get much better because I have to finish up the article uh, from uh, tonight's game. <laughs> so i got to think about this game a little bit longer. Um, but I, I plan to get some sleep before work tomorrow, and then uh, hopefully it's a new day, and then I can just uh, move forward and look forward to the next game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I'm sorry so. for keeping you uh, a little bit longer than we had expected. I know you got to get that article done. So uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing that tomorrow on pacerstalk.net. And you guys can follow Shay on Twitter if you aren't already at Shay underscore or with two R's 94. I'm Alex Golden. You guys know where to follow me at AlexGoldenNBA. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at SettingThePace3 and over on Instagram at Pacers Talk. Until next time, peace out, Pacer Nation. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports
0: documentary, The Kings.